Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday night gathering where we're working on a series called Soul Food, studying the Bible, the first part of the series, how we got it, and lately, how to get the most out of it. We're switching to a different text, one of my favorite texts in the whole Bible. We're going to look at the parable of the soils. So switching from 2 Timothy and Paul's teaching there to Jesus' teaching, and I'm calling it the soil makes all the difference. How we determine transformation by where we draw the line of our hearing. You know these familiar words. Get a Bible. Let's study together just for a little while. Matthew 13, for now, just the first nine verses of this famous parable, because it's all about the Bible, the Word, and how it grows in our hearts so it fits our topic so beautifully. Matthew 13, 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. He had to get away, depressing him. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. So he's in the boat, they're on the beach. Verse 3, he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up. The thorns always grow, grow fast. The thorns grew up and choked them, that is the seed. Verse 8, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then these words, Jesus is the only one who ever utters these words in the New Testament. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, we're going to be in this parable for, for a few Sunday nights. It's a classic teaching from Jesus on how the word bears fruit in some lives, less fruit in others, and almost none at all in others, even though they're all exposed to the same word. So it's, it's a highly relevant topic. So we'll be in it for a few Sunday nights. But, but what I want to do tonight, I want to spend more time introducing the background to this parable. So we're going to take most of our teaching time just looking at the background. So don't, don't panic. Uh, don't panic if, you know, we're well into it and you hear point number one, because we're just going to get point number one at the very close of the teaching time. So don't let that worry you. I can't think of a better passage when it comes to how to get the most out of God's Word. I can't think of anything more central in the teaching of Jesus than the fruitfulness that ought to come from God's Word in our lives, but many times doesn't. Here's what I want to look at tonight. The very first words of verse 1. That's what I want to study because they tell us something important about the background of this parable and answer some hard questions people have where later on we'll look at the verses where Jesus says to his disciples, it's been given to you to understand but not to these. And, and people think, well, man, that doesn't sound very fair. And so the explanation for all of that, I think, is found in 
in the first couple words of verse 1, where it says, that same day. Do you see that? That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, 13.1. What day? What day was it? And it was a day containing, well, containing the events of Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 13 deals with the entry and the development of the Word in our lives. The main point is quite simple, really. The the seed sown is the Word of the kingdom, the message of the gospel, the Word of God. Jesus identifies that for us in, in verses 19 and verse 22, if you jump down to them. When anyone hears the Word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Look at 22, Matthew 13, 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. So Jesus is clearly identifying what the seed is. It's the word. So we can see the word, though though powerful in itself, adequate. Paul says that the man or woman of God might be capable of good works. It's profitable. So there's nothing wrong with the seed. There's nothing wrong with the word. But in this parable, clearly it doesn't have the same effect in every heart. So, so the potential of the word to produce change and to produce fruit is determined by the readiness of the heart to receive the word. And, and it's right at that point, pause, right at that point, that I want us to look at those opening words of Matthew 13. I think they reveal the heart of what the parable is all about that same day. So these ideas, the ideas that Jesus was given in this parable, the parable of the soils, they didn't come from just nowhere. Jesus had encountered that same day that he told the parable just before he had encountered some pretty rugged opposition to his word and his work the very day that he spoke this parable. And that opposition is recorded for us in Matthew 12. Matthew 12 is the same day, that same day, that Jesus told the parable. Well, what had happened that same day? We can see some of the things. Jesus performed miracles that same day that he told the parable of the sower. First, he spoke to a man with a withered hand, 12, 13. Stretch out your hand. Everybody saw it. The man did. Secondly, that same day, Jesus had healed a demon-possessed man who was born blind and mute, the text says. And immediately the man both spoke and saw. That's in Matthew 12, 22. So there have been these demonstrations of who Jesus was and the power of his word and his authority. And then something unbelievable happened that same day. The scribes, the Pharisees came to him in 1238. They came to him and they said, I'm paraphrasing. They said, Jesus, you know, we would really like to take you seriously. If, if you could just give us a sign, 
If you could just show us who you really are, boy, we'd, we'd like to believe, we'd like to follow, but we just don't see any evidence. If you could just do something, something, anything at all that might back up your claim to being the Son of God, that's in Matthew 12, 38. So these people, these religious leaders, wouldn't believe Jesus even though he worked miracles right in their face, right before their eyes. The people said, boy, if we could just see some, something, some proof, we, we'd love to believe, but we just need some evidence. And that's why it's very important to note the way Matthew emphasizes these words from Jesus about being ready to hear what he speaks. It's very important to realize this parable was, was born on the lips of Jesus that same day as this stubborn blindness was revealed in the religious leaders. This, by the way, this is the very same day Jesus had to warn the religious leaders about the unpardonable sin, about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's in 12, 31, 32. The same day Jesus told this parable. So in other words, this was the very same day that Jesus, in word, in deed, this is the same day Jesus was scattering seed all over the place. People had wonderful opportunities that same day to see who Jesus was, to have their hearts transformed. But they refused. They refused to see. They refused to hear. That's why after, after the parable of the sower, Jesus had some scathing words of judgment that confuse a lot of people when they read the parable without the context of that same day. Look at Matthew 13. Now we're going to get the interpretation from Jesus of this parable. Matthew 13, um, 10 to 15. Let's just look at those for now. 13, 10. Then the disciples came to him, came to Jesus, and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them... It has not been given. Well, that doesn't sound very fair, does it? For to the one who has, oh, now we're getting a little more explanation. To the one who has, more will be given. He will have in abundance. You can go from 30, 60 to 100 fold if you want. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And that's why when you look at the close of this parable, Jesus starts with 100 fold, goes to 60, goes to 30. He's proving the truth of this verse. 13. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Why? 15. For this people's heart has grown dull. Jesus, if you could just show us some signs right after he's performed miracles, we'd like to believe. Could you just show us something? This people's heart, 15, has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. With their eyes, their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see. They don't want to see. 
lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. There's no unwillingness on the part of Jesus here. 10 and 11 are the troubling verses for a lot of people. I mean, the disciples obviously realize that many of the people aren't getting Jesus' meaning, and it leads them to question why Jesus is using this method of parables. Specifically, why is he teaching in these parables? And here's what's going on in their minds, and here's what a lot of people wonder today. Were these parables Jesus was telling, were they a help for people's understanding, or were they a hindrance for people's understanding? So were the parables making truth plainer or more obtuse? That's the burning issue in the disciples' minds. Verse 11 seems particularly harsh, doesn't it? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And those words just hardly seem fair. In fact, words like these and others uh, have given rise to a whole school of interpretation known as dispensationalism. It's a big word and you don't have to worry about it. It arose a lot with the popularity of the Schofield Reference Bible. And the idea was that the New Testament had to be read remembering that God was and is still working with two peoples rather than one. He, he, Jews and Gentiles are on separate tracks in terms of what God reveals to them and the purpose in revealing it. And so certain things were reserved for God's Jewish people and other truths were specifically geared for the church age only. And this, according to dispensationalism, is what Jesus was keeping in mind when he spoke these words. The meaning was hidden from one crowd and made clear to the other. Now, if you've never even heard of that before, don't, don't worry about it. You don't need to be sidetracked right now. My own view is that that's a very forced interpretation. It's a, an interpretive grid that people bring to the Scriptures rather than one that's taken from the Scriptures. Okay, so what did Jesus mean in those kind of separatist-sounding words in verse 11? To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. To them it has not been given. And I think Jesus fully intended to tell his disciples that he was teaching in parables both to reveal and to conceal life-giving truth. But the division didn't fall along the lines of Jew and Gentile, not at all. It fell along the fault lines between those willing to hear and those unwilling to hear, Jew or Gentile. So we learn that the entrance of God's rule and reign in our lives, at least for now, isn't a forced entrance. Yes, the kingdom is truly present now in powerful potential in our lives, but it isn't there as an irresistible presence. Its power, and this is what the parable is all about, its power, its power is dependent upon the response of hearing. This is all made clear in verses 12 through 15, where Jesus tells us why his words were hidden from so many in these parables. Look at 12 through 15. For to the one who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance. 
from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why, Jesus says right here, I'm giving you the reason. Here's the why. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see. Remember the the Pharisees? Oh, Jesus, just show us a sign. He's just been showing them signs. Seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. 14, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. 15, for this people's heart has grown dull. Happened over time. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, look, they have closed. I don't want to see. I don't want to see. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. There's the invitation. And understand with their heart and turn. I would heal them. So this people's heart, 15, has grown dull. I need to regularly uh, search my heart with words like that. It can happen, apparently, scribes and Pharisees, it can happen to very religious people, it can happen to church people, it can happen to pastors, it can happen to board members. Does Jesus see our hearts as increasingly humble and alert to fresh repentance, fresh hearing, fresh seeing, fresh turning. We need to remember the events of this very day, Matthew 12, to see what Jesus had in mind when he spoke those words. I mean, the idea in this parable is if people didn't respond to and embrace the truth he gave them, they would lose the capacity to receive anything. That's what I meant earlier when I said the purpose of these parables is both to clarify and to hide truth. But it isn't along the lines of Jew and Gentile. It's along the lines of hearers and non-hearers, seers and non-seers. The religious people, the people who should have known the most, had just taken his works of healing and deliverance in chapter 12 and attributed those works to Satan. Wow. Jesus was surrounded by people who didn't mind seeing him do neat stuff, but couldn't care less about his authority over their lives. And Jesus is very clear. Jesus is very clear on the subject. That's why in verse 13, he doesn't just say these people do not see. That's not what he says. He says, look at carefully, verse 13. He says, seeing they do not see. And he doesn't just say these people don't hear. He says, hearing, they do not hear. And and we're meant to see those words used in two different ways. I mean, these people weren't physically blind and they weren't physically deaf. So in the present physical sense, they could both see and hear. But in another, the most important sense, They freely chose not to see. They closed their eyes. They freely chose not to hear, not to listen. These people weren't short of information. They weren't short of evidence. They were people who rejected divine truth. That's that's the clear meaning of the words Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah in verse 15, where he says, look at these words, where he says, for this people's heart has grown dull, And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they 
have closed, not God, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and I would heal them. This is obviously burning deep in Jesus' heart, and he he takes the time to gather his disciples around him and explain the meaning of this parable. He does that because he's, here's why he does this. He is soon, and this is relevant to us, he is soon going to send them out with the same message of the kingdom that he is now proclaiming. It's going to be their turn next. And just as he saw the different results to his own proclamation, and just as the crowd thinned out when the demands of his kingdom, his rule and reign were pressed, Jesus is preparing them, he's bracing them and us, for the same kinds of responses when we're out there continuing his work. Not everyone's going to like to hear what you have to say. I have scores of books, scores of books, telling me that if people living around this church don't find the message of this church appealing and the neatest and the coolest place in all the world, then we must be doing something wrong. We must not be presenting our message with the proper method. And Jesus and a host of New Testament passages tell me this is not so. Now let's look at this wonderful parable. I said, don't panic. Point number one, but we are almost finished. The potential for all growth in Christ Jesus begins with the seed of God's word planted in the human heart and mind. There's just, there's just nothing more important if a church is going to heed the word of Jesus. There's nothing more important in all the churches, in our fellowship and across the country, then you make sure, you make sure that God's word gets planted every time the people come together. You don't have to have the hottest praise band, the coolest lighting, the best cappuccinos, but here's what you have to have. People have to hear the word. They don't need the pastor's wisdom and jokes and wit. They don't need the coolest videos. They need the word. They're desperate for the word. If you want to grow spiritually, apparently, this is the starting point. That's why Jesus says the word is like seed. We know what seed is. That's where everything starts. Everything begins with it. What Matthew says more indirectly, Mark records very directly, Mark 4.14. The sower sows the word. So we know what the seed is. We're not guessing here. The seed is the word. Everything that's going to grow, starts with seed. Soils vary. The seed, that's the constant in this parable. I grew up, uh, I grew up on the prairies, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Imagine the foolishness of a farmer who comes complaining about the barrenness of his land. He comes to you and he says, I, I borrowed a small fortune to buy this land. The previous owner told me it was good land, but I think he lied because 
because, man, I have worked that soil. I have irrigated it. I have invested in the best fertilizers known to science. I've been spraying insecticides and pesticides. I've worked from sunrise till it's dark, and there's nothing growing on this land. And you say to your farmer friend, well, that's very strange. Because I know the farmer who sold you that land, he's an honest guy, and I can't imagine him cheating you. You should be getting something for all your effort. What did you plant? You say, plant? Yeah, what seed did you sow? Well, what do you mean seed? I didn't know you had to sow seed. If, if, if you want a harvest, if you want any kind of harvest, you need seed. True, as Jesus will show in this parable, there are other factors too, to be sure. But for sure, nothing happens without seed. The irreplaceable first step in growing anything is planting seed. Life can't emerge if there's nothing planted in terms of seed to germinate in the first place. But, but what's obvious in farming is never quite so obvious in spiritual growth, it seems. We're interested in harvesting all sorts of blessings. But we aren't as interested sometimes in sowing. We want to to go to church less and less. I don't mean during the pandemic. I just mean regularly. We want to go to church less and less. We want zippy little talks about how to have a, a cool life and reach your potential. We find ourselves too busy with other things to spend extended times in prayer. But we'd like good marriages. We'd like our kids to grow up and and kind of follow Jesus as best they can. We'd like to prosper in our business. Harvesting. We're good on harvesting. It's the sowing part that isn't quite as exciting. So the very forming of this parable is just so masterfully designed by Jesus, the loving teacher, who in the very act of picturing spiritual fruitfulness, he underlines the fact that we're so prone to disconnect sowing from harvesting. But you can't disconnect them. Just because the harvesting doesn't follow right on the heels of the sowing, just because the link isn't immediate, doesn't make the link any less essential. And so Jesus uses this parable. It just gets right home to us to knit together two things that we don't always mentally connect. Think about what you're sowing into your life. In other words, compare the time spent in front of the TV with the time spent memorizing Scripture. Compare the accumulated hours spent in in health clubs and bars and restaurants with the accumulated time spent regularly with God's people in God's house. Eventually, not immediately, but eventually that's what's going to determine the spiritual fruit you're one day going to harvest. That's the first great lesson and, I guess, the first great warning of this wonderful parable. Let let nothing but the Word of God take center place in your life. Let no other authority, custom, 
the pressure of the crowd, the direction of the culture. Let none of that steer your life. Root yourself, renew your mind, regulate your actions and attitudes with the seed of the word. You know these words. Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. It's all over the place. Nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. Don't worry about all the Christians who are deconstructing their faith and walking away from Jesus. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the seed. On his law, he meditates day and night. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The counsel of the ungodly is everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. It crops up like weeds and thorns, Jesus says. They grow aggressively. And Jesus said that those things will choke out the place of the word if you're not careful. But the word of truth, the seed properly received, it will bring unlimited blessing. In whatever he does, he prospers. And that's because the word is the seed. Receive it with an open, repentant, diligent heart, and it'll grow beyond your wildest dreams. Let's pray. Oh, how we thank you for a rich parable like this. We'll be studying it for weeks. Please keep Cedarview Community Church from ever being distracted from sowing seed. We want to sow that seed in the walls of this church. We want to sow that same seed across the country of Canada. We want to sow that same seed unchanged around the world because everything good that grows comes from the seed of the word. Keep us glued to it and through it, glued to you. Keep us from silly fads. Keep us rooted in the deep truths of Scripture. Because, Jesus, we know that nothing delights your heart more than that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless the church. Thanks for joining us again. Hang in there. Love one another.